from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast, and I'm Perry. I'm MJ. And this is Mark. (laughs) So Everything's weird. different. Everything's Every different. Time. Every time. Consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Little minds, exactly. Really? That is so cool. That it's should not be my hobgoblin, next. Hobgoblin, though, but I just made that up. But no, that's the that's the phrase. It, is yeah, that it the is hobgoblin. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's From it. where? Shakespeare? Is it is Shakespeare? It? I don't You'll know. You'll have to look it up and inform us I a little later. I will do that. Yeah. Uh, so pre-show banter, we're gonna skip just for a second, and come back to it because I'm queuing up our guest that she has the raunchiest filthiest joke available so she's wow. going to share that later in the show but we have to go back to our normal <laughs> beginning that was just a cue for her to like get it ready um back to the beginning of the banter so um <laughs> back to Mi- banter <clears throat> michelle's over there on facebook and uh what's mark doing over there he's looking up the hobgoblin situation i am that's actually uh rolf rolf waldo Edmondson. thank you mm-hmm Ralph nice. Waldo. Ralph Waldo said Emerson. that. He did. A, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Mm-hmm. Hobgoblin. I think we should meditate on that for a couple minutes, but our listeners probably wouldn't stay. They probably wouldn't. They wouldn't. probably wouldn't stay just, in. Just, yeah, Instead, let's talk about Michelle's tiny house. How's your build going? I'm so excited. Yesterday, I, I'm so excited. So it's going really well. A um, couple of weeks ago, quite unexpectedly, the, the original plan yeah. was for us to, my boyfriend is a framer, and so for us to work on it on the weekends, I drive up to his house on Friday, and we would work on it on Saturday and Sunday, and then I drive home and repeat, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, his boss had said, hey, by the way, we're running a little slow on projects, and, and run a little behind, and the weather's kind of bad, so if you are interested in taking some time off, now would be a great time for all involved, and we'll continue your medical coverage, but... Um, yeah, if you want to take some time off. So he called me and said, hey, how about I come to work for you for a couple of weeks? So we negotiated and uh, came up with a dollar amount. And he has been working on it full time now. So today is build day eight. Wow. Um, he's been working on it full time. And we started basically, again, eight, nine days ago with a bare trailer. And as of this morning, all the roof joists are going up. So you saw the picture. We got four walls yeah. up. Mm-hmm. The roof joists are going up today. And hopefully by Sunday, it will be totally dried in. So wrapped, <coughs> um, siding, windows, roofing, um, wow. everything probably by this Sunday. So cool. very cool to be even ahead of the schedule that I had originally envisioned. Was the offer he received from work an offer he could not refuse? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I, I, maybe. But yeah. his boss then called yesterday just to make sure that he was coming back to work on Monday because his boss is like, oh, you're building a house in two weeks. How does that work? So he, <laughs> his boss called yesterday and said, you know, how's it going? Are you still coming back on Monday? And he's like, yep, absolutely. Coming back on Monday. <laughs> and uh, so they had a, a conversation about what a tiny house was because his boss you know, oh, it was like yeah. he thought he was building a, a little house. He, there was no conversation exactly about what that would look like or mm-hmm. what that would be. So the big bummer part, um, so I'm super excited because I get daily updates. He sends me photos of what he got done that day. But the bummer part is, is I haven't been there at all. 
because I was gone. Yeah. So that's the bummer part. I'm such a control freak, but I'm sure you're surprised by that. Not um, really. <laughs> it's really difficult for me to completely relinquish control. He's got the credit cards. He's got the project, and he's just kind of chunking along. That's how he loves it. He I'm loves sure. to just be left alone. I'm sure. The, the tiny house that you're building or having built right now is smaller than the one you had before, right? <clears throat> much, much smaller. But is it 90 square feet? No, it's actually uh, almost, let me see, it's 144 square feet. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, well, so it sounds like our guest got my transition, but my co-hosts did not. Oh, I, no, I did. I oh, you it. did? Oh, okay. With you. Okay, okay. Felice Cohen is famous in the tiny house simplicity movement for living in the tiniest sardine can I've ever seen. Her video of her 90-square-foot New York apartment got 15 million views, and it's wow. continuing. And until she was evicted recently, apparently, she was um, living large in a super tiny space. 90 square feet is nothing, really. Um, and so uh, Felice has apparently made a career of that opportunity. And so I'd like to le in, uh, welcome Felice Cohen to the show. Hi, Felice. Hi, thanks for having me. Hello again, Felice. <laughs> yeah, so great to talk to you after seeing you this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Down it was in fun. Georgia. Yeah, it was great fun. So before we go any farther, Felice, um, hit us with that joke. For real? You thought I was kidding. No, no I'll tell it. Okay. Oh, yeah. We have yeah. an explicit rating. <laughs> so our, Let's our, start it out yeah. there. <laughs> okay. It's not quite Fifty Shades of Tiny. Um, <laughs> so this uh, older man marries a much younger woman, and he can't seem to please her in bed, and he doesn't know what to do. He goes to his doctor. The doctor says, here's what you're going to do. Get a younger man to stand behind you while you're in bed with your wife and have him wave a towel. And so the man says, okay, he tries it, he goes home, still can't please his wife. He goes back to the doctor, says it didn't work. Doctor says, you know what, switch places with the younger man. So he goes, okay, and he goes back, and the younger man starts pleasing his wife, and he's waving the towel, and his wife is just having the best time of her life. And the older man says, see, that's how you wave a towel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a good one. <laughs> so please, <laughs> awesome. How I'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an author, an organizer, and a speaker. It sounds like you were doing organizing, and you, this is space organizing. It sounds like you were doing that before you actually became famous for your 90 square feet place, which you no longer live in, correct? Correct. Yeah, I've been doing this uh, 20 years. I've been, I moved to New York to be a writer, and I organized homes and offices to pay the rent. How, how did you get into organizing spaces? Uh, you know, I've always been organized. I grew up in a huge house. I had two walk-in closets that together were almost 90 square feet. And for fun as a kid, I would take everything out and I would go through it and get rid of what I didn't need and reorganize it. And at sleepovers, I'd organize my friends' closets. And uh, in college, I would organize friends' dorm rooms in exchange for slices of pizza. And after college, it was something I was really good at it, and I was debating moving to New York, and I saw a woman on TV who organized for a living, and I said, I can do that in my sleep. And I wanted to uh, write this book about my grandfather, so I moved to New York and started organizing. Hmm. Wow. It, it, when you were a kid and living in this large house, you had two walk-in closets to yourself? Yep. 
I grew up on Cape Cod. We had a big house. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I always thought I would one day grow up and live in a large house. But after my, you know, unintentional housing experiment of living in 90 square feet, that's no longer the case. Why was it unintentional? I moved into that 90 square feet in 2007. This was before tiny house festivals, tiny house podcasts, tiny house TV shows. And I had no idea the benefits of living tiny. I moved in because of the low rent and it was on the Upper West Side in a great neighborhood. And I planned, I quit my job. I had a very stressful job. I was chief of staff to a college president. And I said, I'm going to give myself one year to finish this book I'd been working on for years. And I thought I'd stay one year, and I ended up staying five until, like you mentioned, I was evicted. What did what? So when you quit your job as chief of staff of that university person, and you wrote this book, did you get it done in a year? And then what happened next? Well, I almost didn't make it the first night in the in the tiny apartment, as you've probably seen on the video. I was in a I had a tiny loft bed, and mm-hmm. the first night I had a panic attack. And uh, I woke up and there was the, the roof, the ceiling, like inches from my nose and the walls. And I had a friend sleep over because I thought I'd fall out of the loft bed. And I started freaking out. What am I going to do? I can't deal with this. And my friend said to me, you know, she reminded me, why did you move here? And I, and I took a breath and I said, you know, it was to write my grandfather's book. He's a Holocaust survivor. And as soon as I said that, I realized that what he went through, this was paradise. And so I never had a panic attack again. In fact, that first year, that year, my life got better. I mean, my stress went down. My happiness went up. I had more time to write. I didn't quite finish the book, but by the end of that year, I was like, I don't want to leave. So I decided to stay another year and another year. And and then eventually I finished the book and, um, and I really didn't plan on leaving. What did you, what were you living in before you moved into that little space? I was living in a, uh, a spacious two bedroom in the Bronx with my uncle. Oh. And um, I don't know how many square feet it was, probably 1200. Hmm. And, and when you, what, what do you attribute the um, newfound ease and relief of uh, that you just described a few minutes ago? Was it, was it moving into this tiny space or getting over that panic attack or what? You know, my my free time went up because my low expenses i was paying 700 a month which yes is a lot but in new york city it's like free <laughs> and when i was chief of staff i had saved for years and i knew it wasn't a job i wanted to do for life but i saved almost half of what i was making and so i thought what what better use of this money and i moved into this tiny space thinking i would just write and my life just started getting better. I still was organizing on the side, but this free time allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And when I eventually was evicted and, and moved into a place that I bought a couple blocks away, I realized I didn't want to go back to that other lifestyle. How could I, how could I keep that lifestyle, even though I was in a bigger place and had now a mortgage? And I realized it was about stuff. Because for many of us, it's about stuff. We have so much stuff and that often keeps us prisoners. You know, we have to work to pay for the stuff. We have to spend time cleaning the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what I talk about when I go around. It's how to free yourself from that burden of stuff. So when you when you got a, well, let me ask you, how do you feel how did you feel about being evicted? Go ahead and tell that story so that the uh, listeners know what happened. Sure. So with all the with the when the video went viral, I was on, you know, I was interviewed around the world um, and it, it was really, it was an exciting time and I was on Good Morning America and all these shows and, 
And uh, one person I never thought would see the video was the landlord. And apparently I wasn't allowed to sublet. And he saw my name and the woman's name on the lease. And I came home one day and there was a sign on my door. It's an eviction. Hmm. Now, when I tell the story in New York City, everyone's like, yeah, so that's part of being a New Yorker. Hmm. But for me, I was, you know, I was like, oh, no. So we went to housing court and uh, we negotiated and they said I could stay a few more months to start finding another place. And every place I looked at in my neighborhood was three or four times what I was paying. And I realized my lifestyle was going to have to change again. I was going to have to get another stressful job to pay a lot for a space I didn't really need. And um, I remember during this time, now my book had come out and my book, my first book on my grandfather, what called What Papa Told Me, was selling around the world now because of the, the viral video. And I was down in Florida. I was telling my grandfather we were doing talks and I told him about my housing situation and he said, you know what? He said, I think you should buy a place already and I'm going to give you the down payment. And uh, of course, I started crying and he said, you know, you moved into a shoebox to write about my life, but now I want to help you enjoy yours. Wow. That's awesome. Mm. I yeah. was I was going to ask, how did you afford to buy a place in New York City? <laughs> it's just amazing. Well, yeah. I mean, living in that tiny space, I had saved a lot of money as well. And my dad's a bankruptcy attorney, so I know not to waste money. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So do you, do you still do organizing? I do. I, I still do it. Um, you know, I'm busier now. I, I can't do it as often as I want, but I still have clients. And I'm always taking on a new client or two. What would you say is the proportion of the of the time that you spend working between speaking, authoring, and organizing? Um, you know, lately I've been doing a lot of these tiny house festivals. I was just with Michelle down in Georgia and we've got some coming up in New Jersey. Um, you know, they're probably every couple months. Um, you know, I still do writing, probably writing and organizing split during the week when I'm not traveling. So, um, you said that you were kind of around and, and doing the simplifying and doing the organizing before the tiny house movement came along, um, to sort of paraphrase, but did you do you find renewed interest in in what you're doing now through the tiny house movement? It seems like a really really great match. Absolutely. I mean, if I wasn't an organizer, there's no way I would have been able to um, to live in that tiny space. It was really like my ultimate challenge. Um, and I think you know when I talk, I talk about living large in any size space, and people need help. Everybody needs help. Even I sometimes kind of getting rid of stuff. You know, we're consumers. Stuff's made cheaply. We buy it. We get stuff. We're given stuff. Um, we acquire stuff. And in the same way the stuff comes in, we have to put the same effort into getting rid of the stuff. And we often don't do that. And, and sometimes people get, it gets to be too much and people get overwhelmed. You know, anxiety builds and you don't really know where to start. Yeah, you have some great advice on uh, on the card that you gave me. You have some great advice as to how to uh, help people to embrace, you know, downsizing. It's it's very difficult for people to look at this huge project or huge house or garage or whatever it is they're looking at to downsize. You have some really, really great advice for our listeners on how to kind of uh, eat that elephant a uh, uh, bite at a time. Sure. So, you know, with any project, whether you want to write a book or uh, you take a course in college, you know, before you get to the final, you get a syllabus and it's broken up. And so any big um, thing you want to accomplish, you have to break it down because it is overwhelming. So, you know, it's like baby steps. So one of the biggest, I say to people, can you get rid of five things today? It could be, you know, a Tupperware without a lid, a pair of socks with a hole in it. 
And I always say, can you get rid of five things? And they say, yes. And I say, well, can you do that every day for a week? And that's 35 things. That's a good chunk of clutter gone. And when you stop thinking of it as this whole garage and you say, okay, I'll just do five things, then it makes it a little less overwhelming. Another, sorry, did you have to? Uh, no, go ahead. Oh, another kind of tip is with time. You know, no one wants to spend their entire Saturday cleaning out their garage, except me, because I love doing that. But, <laughs> you know, I say, you, know, you take your cell phone and set the, set the timer for a half hour, an hour, and just start going. Get a bag and start filling. And when the timer goes off, stop, you're done. And if you want to keep going, then go ahead. And for a lot of people, once they start, they kind of get motivated. And then reset the timer if you want to go again and go again. And another one I love is um, dice. Kids love this. When I work with children, I say to them, okay, roll a pair of dice. And whatever number you get, that's how many items to get rid of. And so you start thinking of it as a game. And my mom loves this. Every time I come home, she's like, let's play the dice game. And we go in the laundry room and we start. Because whatever room in your house might become a catch-all, it's kind of an easy way to do it, and it's kind of a fun way. And, um, you know, whether you throw it away or you donate it, um, it just it just breaks it down. What's the, what's the worst organizing project you faced? Uh, that would be Rat Woman. So I Ooh. had a client who uh, <laughs> was a hoarder, and she had a one-bedroom apartment on the east side, and she had... I guess stolen these lab rats from her job. She had over a hundred of them in her apartment oh in glass fish tanks that were stacked and like teetered on each other. And they were white and they were all like pushing against the glass. And you couldn't even open the front door of this apartment. And you walked in and there were piles everywhere. It smelled worse than Grand Central Station. It was, just, it was 20 years ago. Grand Central Station's cleaned up a little bit. It was, it was horrible. And I... And I almost bolted, but, you know, she said, well, while you organize, I'm going to clean out the cages. And I said, no, you're not, because <laughs> that's all I needed was like a loose rat and I would be done for. So we worked together and we and my goal was to make a clean exit path to the door in case I needed to run quickly. And I spent four hours. We just kept throwing stuff away. And, and when she wasn't looking, I would throw stuff away. I mean, there were bags of newspaper bags of mail bags of paper bags of bags bags of clean laundry bags of dirty laundry bags of twine i mean it was horrible and uh it was just it was it was the worst thing i'd ever been through and um i remember we were done we're at the elevator and she said will you come back again and i just lied and i said yes i couldn't go back you didn't go back i couldn't yeah they, wow. the woman i was working for at the time hired other people to go oh so you were working for someone else at the time when I first moved to New York, yeah. Wow. What is, what was she collecting the rats for? I think she worked someplace and she was against the experimentation of lab rats. So I think she stole them. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was awful. What do, you, what do you think is the reason why people get into that situation as an organizer? Um, you know, I think it's different reasons. I mean, she was, you know, a real hoarder and, you know, there are psychological reasons people get into stuff. Older people, maybe they live through the depression. Uh, some people, maybe they had nothing growing up. Some people feel like they might need it someday. They're afraid to get rid of it or they spend a lot of money on it or, mm. or whatever the reason. And some people, it might just, something happened, it could be an illness. Um, and then things just collect and then they get overwhelmed and don't know where to begin. Interesting. Mm. My ex-father-in-law kind of had that perspective. He 
I remember the first time that we that I met him or the first time that we went down to the ranch, um, he would run out of space in the main house. And so he would build buildings to put more stuff in. <laughs> and he his his issue was was pretty bad to the point that he would like break a mirror and he would take all the broken pieces of mirror and stack them together and then wrap them in twine. Wow. And then the whole explanation was you never know when you're going to need a piece of mirror for something. To like, slit your wrist. <laughs> 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 and every car he ever bought when the car broke down, he would just go park it, you know, out in the field. So he had like mm. 14, 15, 16 cars. Now, some of them are really cool because they went all the way back to the 1950s but there are mm. these so some of them were cool rusted cars from the 1950s you know photographic gold but some of them were you know 1970 something pintos you know wow he had 14 or 15 cars yeah sitting out in the field he's got two warehouses wow. actually full of stuff and crap and and so forth so yeah he was in his perspective was again he was he quote unquote survived the depression mm-hmm. and so it was um, it was very much a scenario of everything is worth something when you have nothing. Yeah. Hey, so Felice, um, what's the what's like the most expensive thing you've ever come across in your organizing projects? Oh, I had you know I name all my clients. I had the billionaires. Um, they had bought three townhouses, and he put two together to create one apartment, and the other he got for his mother, but. Um, you know, there was the artwork. I mean, we're talking real Picassos and real organizing, mm. real pieces of art that had to be moved. Um, and then I remember his office was all leather. The floor was all leather. The floor? Yeah. So when the movers came in, because I used to do a lot of um, moves and unpacking people's homes, and the movers came into the house, they had to put on booties, even while carrying like heavy boxes. And then in or unpacking his office, you had to have socks on. And the floor was each was a square of leather flown in from Italy. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm sure Melania yeah. made him wear socks. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it's amazing. What? Uh, wow! So he was so rich he could afford to just floor his place with leather, Italian leather. Wow! Yeah, not just yeah. that Australian crap. Yeah, <laughs> but he he didn't connect his mother's apartment. No, it didn't connect the mother. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> no amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's so? What's the? Did you have you ever run across like coll- a collection of like Pez dispensers or something like that? <laughs> yeah, some people had like snow globes. One guy had frogs, um, real frogs. I mean, people no. just have stuff and. You know, when I work with people, I don't I don't make them get rid of anything. If somebody wants something, you know, I'm not going to get rid of it. But if, if that's what you love, if that's your thing, then we try to display it. Because if you're collecting something and just keeping it in a box, what's the point? Yeah, it's true. So, yeah. So while I was at the at the festival, I was standing in line with a couple of ladies while we were um, – I was waiting for my helicopter ride. And standing in line with a couple of ladies who were definitely southern ladies – <laughs> who they're, you know, they were talking about the downsizing process. So they, their their grandparents or something came from like plantations, these huge, massive, sprawling plantations. And when they passed away, then they handed all of their antique furnitures down to the next, you know, to the next generation, to the next generation. And they were talking about, you know, this tiny house movement, it's just, it's so lovely and it's, yeah, it's a great concept. But what do I do with 10 
mahogany tables and display cases <laughs> that came out of my uh, grandfather's general store. And what do you do with four foot by six foot tall portraits, oil portraits of the family? I mean, you don't, you can't throw them away. And so we had a really interesting conversation and it led me to think about actual, not just the cultural, overall culture of consumerism in America, but I think there's even some regional sort of considerations because I, of course, I wouldn't want a four foot by six foot oil portrait of anybody in my family <laughs> ever. But, Me neither. Even but, myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think there's even like, again, I think there's regional considerations. Um, people in New York, they're used to living in small spaces. Mm-hmm. What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. People in Georgia are like, oh my gosh, like 200 square feet is half the size of my master bathroom. Do you find um, um, where where overall where do you do where are your clients located and do you agree that there are not just societal issues associated with stuff but regional? Uh, you know, most of my clients are in the tri-state or New England area, so people have big homes in New York. A lot of my clients are on the Upper East Side who live in you know duplex apartments, penthouses, and some are in small apartments and. You know, I don't, it could be regional. I mean, even people here have antiques that have been passed down from families. And the New York Times have written about how children today don't want the stuff. They're seeing the benefits of having less. And, you know, their tastes might be different. Um, You know, where to, so a lot of people are faced with that challenge. You know, people want to retire, but where do we, where does our stuff go? Um, So, you know, you try to sell it if it's worth anything, but at some point, if it's impeding on your life, then then just give it to someone who would at least appreciate it if you can't sell it. We had some family friends that moved to do work in China for like two or three years. They put all their stuff in three containers, three containers. After three years when they came back, they had zero idea what was in those containers. Really? Zero. Yeah. Wow. Remember, the Morrison has a similar story when they went yeah. to Mexico and yeah, they yeah. they put stuff in storage and said, this is our really, really, really mm-hmm. important stuff. They, you know, they lived in Mexico for, I think, several months. Then they came back and they opened up the boxes and went, really? We thought this stuff was important. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a spoon in there or label right. or something like that. Yeah. But also I was talking to them. I was talking, again, specifically to these women. And I'm like, well, downsizing, again, we talk about taking it a bite at a time or breaking a large project into smaller bites. And I said, downsizing is about the fact that you acknowledge that you don't need 16 wooden spatulas. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts. Mm -hmm. Now, don't touch my shoe collection. (laughs) Because that's where it ends. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not go there. But, I mean, we all have, like you said, I mean, if we really like it, if we really want it, we're going to make space for it even in my 205 square feet, I have space for 47 pairs of shoes. But let me ask you about that, Michelle. So what is what is it about, and, and maybe maybe Felice can, can weigh in on this too. What is it, I mean, not about this specific question, but the general uh, area. Not about Michelle's illness. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> what, is it, what is it about the shoes that has you have so many? What is it? So actually, it goes back to there was a book that influenced my fashion type a long time ago called, called Three Black Skirts. And the whole concept is associated with um, simplifying your wardrobe. But you ex- so you have a sense of style, however, that's expressed through 
your handbags or your earrings or your shoes, right? So my wardrobe um, is actually pretty simple, you know, black pants and khaki pants and jeans and solid colored tops and so forth. So I express my sense of style through my shoes. I actually wear out my clothes because I wear the same pair of black pants or the same black skirt so many times. So I express my sense of style through my shoes. When I was in Georgia, for instance, this weekend, I get super, super over-the-top blingy cowboy boots and those types of things. Um, but I also have to admit it's also kind of a psychological way of saying, don't look at me, which is, this is a different story, but don't look at me, like look at the shoes, look at the earring, look at the hat. Um, it's a way of sort of um, calling attention to the areas that I would prefer to be called attention like to. redirection. Is, right, like a redirection mm -hmm. kind of thing, exactly. So there are parts of my body that I don't like, and so I'm going to attract attention to the parts of the body that I do like. Hmm. I know that's a weird think, answer, but it's the truth. Hmm. I, you know, with, uh, shoes and women and shoes go way back, and I think for speaking as a woman with shoes, um, you know, <laughs> for us, you know, as a woman, our bodies are always changing. And, you know, you know, we all have those skinny jeans in the closet or we want to say, but for the most part, our shoes always fit. So we like to hold on to those things as well. Hmm. Okay. How many pairs of shoes do you have? Um, well, I have a lot of boots because in New York City, you do a lot of walking, but I probably have at least 40. Wow. 40? Yeah, what size, yeah, what size place did you buy? Well, I have a shoe for the pack. shoes. So the shoes each pair is in. You know, I have a lot of sneakers, spin shoes, boots. Oh. Uh, my place now is uh, under five hundred square feet. Okay. So how many so, pair of shoes do you have, Perry? How many pair of shoes? I have one, two, three, no, four. I have hiking hiking boots that have a hole in them. I bought shoe glue to repair that. I have the shoes that I have on, which are Uggs. I have uh, some Keen. Shoes that, I, that are like my everyday shoe. Mm -hmm. And then I have these clog-like things that my wife bought me to, to go from like, if I have to take the garbage out, for example, rather than lacing up shoes, I put these clog things on. No dress shoes. I no longer have dress shoes. Hmm. You're not invited to my funeral. <laughs> I can't come barefoot. <laughs> I mean, that, that's why I wore flip-flops and bare feet at my, at my wedding. Because oh, right, I, didn't, right. I gave up my... my and you get rid of those goofy-ass toe shoes. Yeah, things. those things, they wore out too fast. But, I mean, I talk a lot about my shoe collection just because I think it's something that everybody can really easily relate to. But I also collect hats and scarves and earrings and so forth. And I have, I don't know, 30 or 40 hats, probably 50 or 60 scarves, and probably two or 300 pairs of earrings, really cool, blingy, big wow. earrings and stuff. So Two but, or 300? Yeah, I bet. Um, and I also do a seasonal rotation. Um, so I rotate my closet and I rotate all my accessories and everything twice wow. a year. So, wow. so that's how I manage. But at the risk of getting kicked out of the tiny house club, I do have <laughs> a 70 square foot storage unit. I thought that would get you kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, at the risk, unit. I see. At yeah, the yeah, risk yeah, of yeah, getting yeah, kicked yeah, out, yeah, I have yeah. to admit that I, I literally don't fit in my 205 <laughs> square feet. I actually do have a seven by 10 storage unit that I use as my closet. Well, like luggage and stuff. I mean, well, yeah. Where are you going to put that shit in a tiny house? Mm -hmm. And your extra convertible roof when your current one gets knifed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> Sounds like Felice has had experience with that. Do you have a convertible Felice? I, I've had a car broken into when I first moved to New York. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Felice, um, as an organizer, are you like, uh, you know, they say that doctors are the, are the worst patients or the least healthy 
Are, are you as an organizer, are you a slob in the house? Not at all. You're anal up the gang? Yeah, I mean, I try, you know what, it's not so much about being anal. I think it for me, it's about, and this is when I organize and create systems for people, it's like everything I own has a place so that when I come back from traveling or when I'm, you know, done with the laundry or shopping or whatever, everything has a place it belongs. So it's easy to put together. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Every place has a, every spot, every item has a place. And if it doesn't have a place, it's like, well, why do I need it? I wish I could convince my wife that everything has a place because she takes things out and they don't get back to the place she took it from. That's because her house is too big, especially now that you're not in it. Exactly. Your house is a madhouse with all those kids around there, too. All those kids around there. <laughs> Interesting. So do you have do you have clients, organizer clients that are tiny house liver inners? <laughs> Liver inners. Uh, liver uh, I think the word you're looking for is occupants. Yeah. Occupants. I yes, think you're getting sorry. rummy. It's the third I show. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have had clients who have lived in studios in New York City. None were quite my size, but yeah, small spaces. And it's you know organizing doesn't matter what size home you live in. It's it's a constant challenge just kind of checking in with your stuff, like Michelle does twice a year with a rotation. And you know I'm sure one or two things might leave if she hasn't worn it or she might be tired of it or you know it might be good for somebody else and you know I always tell people like this weekend we're going to turn the clocks back clocks ahead and you know we change the batteries in our in our smoke detectors it's a good time to kind of go through those winter clothes as you put them away what did I wear what did I not wear what you know is ruined kind of go through it about a month ago I went on a bit of a clothes shopping spree though and I did buy quite a I don't know probably 12 articles of clothing and for every article of clothing I bring into my space, I also get rid of one. Mm. But then, like I said, I recognized that that was about a month ago because I was looking at my closet and I still had two items after a month that I had not worn and I took them back. Oh, wow. Right. Dude. You took them back yeah. for, to I the store? I took them back to the store and wow. actually got my money back Excellent. because I was like, I thought I would wear these and I've had more than enough opportunity mm -hmm, to wear mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. But um, so I, yeah, of course, my closet is only 32 inches wide by 32 inches deep so right. i really i almost have to be militant in mm -hmm. the protection of my of my space and like i said my wardrobe itself is actually pretty small and pretty simple so it's easy to go hey i paid how much money for that yeah. and i haven't worn it Not so i actually took month, it back yeah. yeah right is your closet yes. the same dimension as your shower yes that's what i thought my mm -hmm. toilet is 32 by 32 my shower is 32 by 32 my closet is oh. 32 by 32 there's a pattern yes here are you are you 32 by 32 no. Okay. By thirty-two. <laughs> so, um, Felice, are you are are you single? No, but uh, my boyfriend doesn't live with me, but he's here a couple days a week. Where does he Where does he go when he's not there? He has his own apartment. Uh, and what does he do? He is a uh, he works for um, a univer uh, the university system CUNY, the City University of New York, but he's also a master craftsman. And he has helped build a lot of amazing things in my new apartment. Like what? So uh, he has built me this kind of when you walk in this beautiful piece of furniture. I mean, there's not one nail in it. It's all uh, with these special edges, these joiner biscuit joiners. He's built me beautiful mirrors. He's built built-ins in the apartment. He's done the backsplash of my kitchen. Wow! How long have you guys been together? Uh, almost eight years. What does he think about what you do? He loves it. He goes with me to a lot of these festivals. Oh. Um, he's built me stands to hold my books. And um, 
you know, it's it's been fun having it. It's helpful to have a little Sherpa with me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I call my children slaves. They don't like that. But if I call my boyfriend my Sherpa, I'm pretty sure that might not go over well. They might actually like that over slaves. <laughs> <laughs> so if he's if he's a woodworker, does he have a large shop? Um, does he collect power tools like my man does? <laughs> You know, it's funny, I, everybody I've ever dated, I've organized all their stuff and helped them say goodbye to some stuff. Um, we call it bye bye But he has a, uh, an apartment in Connecticut, and he's got a, a garage where he set up his tool shop, and he's built something to hold all a lot of his tools. And he's so he'll take a picture, and I'll send it to me, or when I go over there, he's so happy to show me. And, um, you know, I've organized all his stuff, and we've gotten rid of tools. And, you know, he's had some old ones, and I said, these are rusty. You can't use these. And <laughs> he's like, all right. And, you know, he's sold some stuff as well. Nice. So, nice. So out. he doesn't want to keep the old rusty tools for parts. That's what my boyfriend says. He's like, he has like uh, seven what? chainsaws. I'm, oh, like, that I can understand. It drives me crazy. He has like seven <laughs> chainsaws and he has to keep it. One works mostly. The other one works kind of. And the rest of them don't work at all. But he keeps them because he might need parts someday. Yeah, that's right. Very weird. You never know. You never know. <laughs> I don't understand that. But so he, however, he says he's not a hoarder. He admits that he's a collector. What's His, the difference, Felice, a between a collector <laughs> and a hoarder? I guess it depends on the value of the item. Um, <laughs> you know, my dad, like, has all these rusty nails. And my mom and I are like, really? You're not going to build anything with these nails. But, yeah, like, you might need it. We all think we're going to have this stuff we might need, and uh, you, you rarely do. But, you know, if, if you're a collector, you, you should have a home for the stuff and not just piled. Like, people collect stamps, okay. Um, you know, you collect, um, you know, bags of bags because you're going to need a bag and you have thousands of bags. That's, that's too many. I've never heard of someone collecting or having bags of bags. That's just Oh, God, it's a, it's a New York thing. Is it really? Huh. Yeah. As in purses or as in plastic shopping plastic bags? Shopping bags, I think. Shopping bags. Yeah. Shopping wow. bags. It's yeah, from whether it's from Trader Joe's or it's from Sex Fifth Avenue, people have these bags and I have one client, we got rid of easily a hundred a hundred shopping bags. And I said, you know, you you'll you'll get more. It's not like you're gonna <laughs> stop shopping. Are they reluctant to, to recycle them? Well they'll recycle them. I think they're just reluctant in case I need a bag. You know, if somebody comes over and I loan them something, I'm going to need a bag to put it in. I'm like, you have 10. Yeah. <laughs> well, when my um, when my boyfriend and I first got together about two years into the relationship, I discovered that his parents um, had left him um, a house, the house, <laughs> left him holding the bags. <laughs> um, and so this house that his parents had left him almost 10 years earlier had sat in the exact same condition for 10 years as it did the day that his father died on the couch. Wow. And so we went through a process of downsizing and I'm his parents like I I discarded I think it was about 15 boxes of cake mix that were dated from the mid 1960s. Oh my god. Um 30 some bottles of, you know, shampoo that were under the bathroom sink and so forth. So he was definitely raised in an environment where oh that's a really good deal by 20. Mm -hmm. So he's not really into consumerism. But the comment I want to make actually about this story is the guilt associated with not necessarily getting rid of your own things. But when you're put in that situation is the guilt of getting rid of, you know, your parents things yeah. or not honoring their memory. That was a really tough thing. Yeah, I get that. 
So have you ever helped clients clean out their parents or their grandparents' places? Oh, yeah. So another couple, I have the dead people. Um, that was another client. And the father had Doesn't died. Doesn't pay very well, though, huh? <laughs> they were the sweetest. This woman was very sweet. The father had died a year or so before. The mother just died. And the woman, the daughter lived in Boston. And she was like in her 40s, 50s. And we had to clean out her parents' stuff. And um, there was so much stuff. And, and, you know, there was a lot of places in New York where you can donate stuff. So there were a lot of moments when she stopped and started crying. And we would just sit together. And she would tell me the story of an item. But knowing that the donations were going to help someone made her feel better about it because, um, you know, it's hard, it's stuff. And she picked out the things she wanted to keep and sent some stuff to her brother. And, uh, you know, my uncle died last year and I had to clean out his apartment and, you know, he was like a big brother to me. And there were moments when that happened to me, I would just start crying, but I had a sale and and knowing that his stuff was going to help somebody else made me feel better about letting it go. Hmm. Very nice. Well, um, Felice, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was lovely hearing your stories about organizing and uh, hope you had fun at the, what'd they call that thing? Georgia the Tiny Georgia House Tiny Festival. Tiny House Festival. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Will I see you in, in North Carolina? Um, I don't know about North Carolina, definitely Jersey. Oh, cool. Cool. Definitely be there, yeah. Cool. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, yeah, sure. So, uh, Mark, are you queued up over there? If you want me to be. Yeah. So, uh, Tiny Housers, you guys listening to the show, be sure to send us a um, review on iTunes. And if you do, yours may be read on the air by Mark mm-hmm. and the grizzly felt-lined fellow over there across the, the studio <laughs> for me. Wow. <laughs> I think it's well, flannel. Way, as if it is flannel, actually, yes. So, who are you reading today? I'm reading from someone from Ray Chill. Rachel? Rachel. Ray, not Rachel. No, not Rachel. Ray okay. Chill. Right on, brother. Makes sense. Small makes sense. Funny, engaging, inspiring. My 700 square foot suddenly feels gratuitous. I love, love this word. movement and we will continue to listen in. Nice. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Rachel, for Thanks, sending Rachel. us in the message. And by the way, 700 square feet for one person is gratuitous. <laughs> <laughs> not that we're judging. Not that we're judging, no. All right, Tiny Housers, thank you so much for listening to yet another show. Next week, we're going to be talking with... Oh, I shut off my computer. <laughs> I already shut off my computer. I didn't, like, but I think it's a tent. Is it a pending? Is, yeah, it's oh, probably it's a tentative. Pending. Okay. Yeah. okay, cool. So we don't know who we're going to talk with yeah. next week. But thanks for listening this week and the weeks prior. And don't forget to send us a review. Yep. Bye. Be good to each other. Have a great buy day. Buy less shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>